Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, good to see you. Glad that uh, you've tuned in if you're here on the live stream. And uh, we're going to talk about a special kind of friendship today, right at the beginning of the gospel. We're still beginning uh, the gospel of John. And I want to tell you a story uh, about a recent friend of mine. I mean, we've only been friends uh, probably three years, uh, but uh, we have been through the fire together. We've been on a board together. Have you ever been on a board that's spelled B-O-A-R-D, not the other way around? Uh, we've been through some fire. And so we've gotten pretty close, and, and um, uh, we had a, a meeting uh, a, a few weeks ago, and um, uh, my friend and I, before the meeting started, we'd taken a walk, and we were out sipping our Starbucks on the veranda, looking, overlooking a tropical beach, which has nothing to do with the story. I just felt I needed to tell you that. Um, but uh, he, we were talking about, okay, where are our churches? He's a pastor too. Where are the churches are going and so forth and, and, and where we're headed and, and what do we do now? And coming out of this crazy, wild, beautiful year that we've had, right? And, and um, he, said, he said, yeah, I've told my staff, he's told my, my leaders, what we are going to need more than anything else is a wishbone and a backbone. I thought, oh, that's good. And, and he, he said, I got it from this verse, uh, you know, from uh, Paul's last letter to Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 1, 7. It says, for the spirit of God gave us, gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. There's a whole lot mixed in there, love and friendship and discipline and so forth and so on. And um, I, thought, I said to him, I said, that's really good. I think that's great. He, he said, yeah. I said, you know, in fact, we call it the re- living the resilient way of Jesus. He says, oh, that's good. I said, well, I'm going to steal yours. He said, well, I'm stealing yours. So, I mean, there we are. And, and, and now I've, I've, I've fulfilled that uh, stealing. But the thing is, is that I think that's a good example. The wishbone backbone thing, that is a really pretty, a pretty good way to think about as the gospel starts out, what's going on for John and Peter and Andrew and Nathaniel and Philip and all the uh, followers, Mary and the other Mary, all the people that are following Jesus at this point. Because going forward, not knowing what the sort of newish world, because things have changed. <laughs> things have changed today, and things have changed then. We're not knowing, what are we going to, well, one, we're going to need a wishbone. We're going to have to, you know, pray and, and, and uh, dream and, and uh, dream God's dreams, dream Jesus' dreams after him and say, God, we really want your, what you've promised to give. It would be great if it was right now. We also need a backbone to kind of live into that and some strength and courage or discipline, as, as Paul says. And so we're going we're gonna, to, you know, need that kind of thing. And, and that's why it was really uh, this, I, I'm going to talk about The Chosen that came out, you know, the, the Chosen, the TV series, the, the first episode came out last Sunday on Easter night. And um, what was uh, stunning to me, this is not a spoiler alert, okay? This is not going to spoil it if you haven't seen it yet. But the beginning part of it was these guys talking, and all the disciples and, and the, the followers of Jesus uh, talking into the camera. I'm going, this is cheesy. That, it's sort of like an interview, right, where they're talking about their life before the show starts. And it's like, those guys didn't know what cameras are. They, didn't, they wouldn't have talked like this and so forth. But then the camera pulls back after a couple of minutes, and you realize they're talking to somebody. And you see the back of the person's head, and you go, oh, they, this person's interviewing them. And it turns out to be John, John the writer of the Gospel of John. 
And so what's he doing? He's writing down stuff about what he's going to say. And then a little later, it's about how is, John is thinking, how am I going to start this? How am I going to start this? Hey, I know, I'll start it with the creation of the world, which is exactly what happens. We've already seen exactly what uh, he did, right? And, and, you know, I mean, think about how those gospel writers did this. Every one of them starts a little differently. I mean, the, the trove of Jesus' stories is so massive. How are you going to start? John goes back to the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then the Word came to earth in the flesh. And, and we, we saw all that sort of transpire a couple of weeks ago when we talked about that. We saw the end of the story, too, last Sunday in the resurrection. But in between that time, there's this working out of something that there's this theme that John introduces right in the first chapter that if we're going to go forward in that time or we're going forward in this time and we're going to live out what Jesus has for us and live in the resilient way of Jesus, we're going to need this thing. We're going to need this part of our life. This is a gift from God. And the theme that I'm talking about is being a witness, a witness. Now, as soon as I say that, something goes off in our head and goes, oh, okay, another evangelism sermon. He's going to really lay the hammer down. We need to talk to our friends. I got it. Heard that before. And honestly, many a preacher have used this text we're going to look at today in that way. And uh, moi would be one of them. But I don't think that's all that there is to say about this. I think what he's really trying to show us is what it means to be a Christian friend or a Christian witness to one another who already believe. That's the place the whole thing starts. Because if we get it, if we help each other along the resilient way of Jesus, then other people are going to notice. I think that's why the gospel starts this way, because that's exactly how Jesus did it. And John surely is just telling us how Jesus did it, but he's also telling us this is, this is why he did it. And this is why you need to start there, with Christian friendship. Let's get into the Bible study here today and just I want to invite you to see if you think that I'm on to something here because I think this really is the point because all of the people were already believers at a certain level. They weren't all the way there, we'll talk about that, but they were at a believers at a certain level. And beginning in John chapter 1, verse 35, if you've got your Bible, open it and go there, John 1, 35, it says this, again, the next day, John, standing with two of his disciples... Uh, that is John the Baptist now. Remember John the Baptizer? We looked at that two weeks ago. And he looked at Jesus, uh, and he looked at Jesus as he walked, so Jesus was walking in again, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. So John had at least a couple of disciples, and these are these two. We're going to find out in a minute. One of them was Andrew. And the other one, we don't, aren't told, but John loves to kind of keep himself secret. Like we saw last week at the empty tomb, the other disciple. Who's the other disciple? Well, it's me. I beat John, Peter to the tomb. You know, that kind of thing. He, he kind of keeps himself on the, the, behind the scenes, but he's really out in front because he was there. He has to put himself in there. So it was most likely Andrew and John. The, uh, verse 38, and Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, and it was about the tenth hour, and one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. So now we're finding that out. Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother Simon, 
and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translates, translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which translated means Peter. So there's three statements here and in, in, in a, in a question. Just want to kind of quickly go through here because what we're going to find out is, is that um, how relationships work here, well, how these relationships called Christian friendships, how they work and why they work. The first one is up there where Jesus just point blank asks him, what are you seeking? So he turns around and asks him, what do you want? Why does he do that? Because he wants to bring clarity to them and to the, to the situation. He wants to bring clarity. Are you really interested in, in, in following me as much as you know right now? As much as you, you, you understand right now, are you, are you interested in, in following me? You see, this is important because we're going to see this kind of play out through the whole thing here. How many of you knew everything you know about God now when you became a Christian? Did you have all your theology straight? Did you, did you know all the answers to your questions? Shoot, I got more questions now than I did when I started out. Not because it's so contradictory. It's just like, wow, that's cool, and that's cool, and that's cool. But, but nobody knows. Every, Jesus simply, he knows where these guys are at. He says, let's just bring some clarity. Are you willing to come with me or not? And so he apparently sees that they are, and so he says, come and you will see. That phrase, come and see, is going to be very important. Keep in mind, we'll, we'll get to it again. But what he's doing here is he's, he's not just calling for clarity, but he's calling for some activity. So if you're going to be a friend like this, if you're going to have a relationship like this, then you need, to, you need to take some steps. In other words, to put it in our uh, language of the day, you need to have some backbone. So, so Jesus is clarifying with the, with the first question, some, uh, you know, what, what the wishbone is, what do you really wish? Second question, some backbone. Are you willing to take steps and go to where I am? And, and uh, you know, it's kind of a weird uh, question a- asking, um, you know, where you're staying and, and so forth and so on, right? That's, that's sort of weird, but, <laughs> but think about it this way, you know, if, if you're meeting the Messiah, if you're finding the one who's going to change the world and everything, what are you going to walk up and say, so you the Messiah? <laughs> no. But really, uh, there's more context to that than that. In those days, if you're going to follow a teacher, a rabbi, this is the question you ask him. Where are you staying? It's sort of like, take me to your headquarters. I'd like to hear some more. And that's kind of what they're doing. But, but Jesus clarifies it, and he asks for some activity. Come, come with me. Take steps in my direction, and then you'll see. And then finally, uh, down in verse 41, he, there's this discovery that happens. It, it's... It, it, um, Andrew runs up to Simon, who becomes Peter, and says, we found the Messiah. <laughs> Imagine running up to your brother and saying that. But here, here's, here's what uh, Andrew knows. Peter was already looking for the, the Messiah. All the people. It's sort of like when you meet a Christian friend and you didn't know they were a Christian. Or you didn't know they were interested in that particular book of the Bible or something happened to them that's happened to you and there's sort of this, what? You too? You, you, are you kidding me? There's this discovery there that connects these Christian friends. And, and that's, that's the other thing. It's clarity, there's activity, there's discovery, and then finally there's this, this thing that happens in the end when Jesus tells uh, uh, Simon that he's no longer going to be Simon, he's going to be Peter. 
there's this change that takes place. Because when Jesus calls him Peter, you know that means rock, right? Because in Matthew 16, he says, you're Peter. He's already told him this before. That's not the first time he told him that in Matthew 16. So he's told him this is the beginning. We find that out from John. But the, the reality is, is that you're the rock. And in other words, I'm going to call you, but then I'm going to make you into the person that you need to be to be my follower and to be the Christian friend of these people. You see, that's the thing. That's the beautiful thing. It doesn't matter how much theology you got or whether you've got exactly the right. I mean, there's basics you need to understand to follow Jesus, to be a Christian friend. Doesn't, but, but you don't have to have it all wrapped up in a nice, tight little bow. You don't have to be a certain personality type. You don't have to be a people person to be a Christian friend. Why? Because Jesus is going to transform you, and you have, by the way he designed you and made you, something to bring to that relationship already. So he's going he's to change you. The first point is to clarify, do you want to do this? Yeah, I want to do this. Take some, prove it by taking some activity and moving in the direction of, hey, yeah, Jesus, I want to be that kind of friend to somebody. And then, then uh, moving to discovery of, of, you know, just living your life and letting Jesus bring that person into your life. We'll talk about that later. And, and, and then what he's going to do is he's going to shape and form both of you or the lot of you if it's a group of people, group of Christian friends. But you can kind of see how powerful this is. And how this could change everything and going forward for us, not only those guys in their time, but us in our time, right? You can kind of see how powerful this is. And here's why it's powerful. We are all, all human beings, and still Christians too, this question doesn't go away. We're all looking for something more. It's in our design. Or you might say we're all looking for someone more. We're all looking for, and that just doesn't mean, this is not a message on marriage, You can be a Christian and single. I don't know if you knew that, but I hope you do. This is not about that. This is about we're all looking for that person that God would help help us along on the journey. Living the resilient way of Jesus. Help us have that wishbone. Help us have that backbone. We're all looking for that kind of relationship. And the reason we're looking for it is God made us for relationships like that. God created us. He created something in us that said, and that's what these guys are displaying here. You see, in our culture for at least the last hundred years or so, we've been living with what you could call and what has been called the myth of progress. The myth that mankind is getting so good at being mankind, humankind, okay? We're getting so good at it that we're just getting better and better and better, and we're just creating better and better and better. You know, that's what we're told about, you know, sort of the, 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 the progress, quote unquote, that's going on in our country right now. How's that working out? I mean, the, the, the thing about that is, I mean, evidence number one, we all long for relationships, yes. We all long for friendships, yes. I mean, everybody will tell you that. But one thing that we're not getting better at, we're not making progress at, in fact, we're falling back, is on how to do friendship, how to do relationship, how to treat one another with grace and kindness, Evidence number one, how easy is it to have a conversation nowadays with somebody that doesn't agree with you on everything? I mean, think about that. that that's a societal problem, right? That's, that's a reversal of God's creative order. 
It doesn't mean that, you know, we shouldn't stand up for things and so forth and so on and have our beliefs, but we can't even have conversations. Do you watch what you say in your conversations nowadays? All I'm saying is that's proof that the, the myth of progress is just that, a myth. We're not making progress. Not, not in that area of our culture in our lives. Not what you, we won't make progress without Jesus. Because here's the thing, Jesus wants to reverse that problem, that relational problem, but guess what? The way he's going to do it is through changing and transforming you and me into real Christian friends, and then let the world see, and then it's his choice. It's his decision about when and where we witness in the world, and, and how we, because we've already helped each other learn how to relate and be kind and gracious and live out the resilient way of Jesus, and live for the truth, and dig for the truth too. And sometimes we have strong discussions. Paul had strong discussions with people who are Christians. We call them arguments, okay? But we have those strong discussions. I mean, you, you, those of you who are married, you know what a strong discussion is. That's okay. But there's this way of relating to one another that you, you go further with that person, even in the midst of those kinds of things. And Jesus wants to restore that in our country, in our land, in our world today. And that's kind of where this goes next. Because of what Jesus does for a guy named Nathaniel. Look at this. Beginning at verse 43. The next day, he decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, which means fisher town, fisherman town. Which has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but it's kind of interesting. In fact, it's on the northeastern shore of Sea of Galilee. They've just unearthed it. They're still, still digging over there. They just found where this thing is. They weren't sure before, but they just found it the uh, last couple of years. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him whom Moses wrote in the law, and the prophets also wrote. He's talking, that's his way of saying the Messiah. Jesus, the son of Joseph, from Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. <laughs> okay, here's the reality. Skeptic, skeptics abound. We'll always have skeptics with us. Some of us are predisposed to be skepticus. True confession. I mean, we just are, right? And that's kind of what Nathanael's doing is it's, you know, can anything good come from Nazareth? But, but, but what's he really saying? I, I, I think maybe he's saying, I've been put down one too many times, I'm just not going to jump at the next, next Messiah. Just not. Just, I'm just, I'm too beat up. And have you ever thought about that? I mean, have you ever thought, kind of like, well, our society, our country, our city, it's just too far gone. Jesus sure couldn't renew us. Just couldn't do it. It's just too much. Can anything good come out of this? Is Jesus really that powerful? I mean, we'd never think of it that way, but that's kind of what we're saying. I've been there, watching the news, hearing a story, whatever it is, seeing this thing or that thing happen, um, and saying, yeah, can, anything, can this ever be reversed? Can Jesus ever do anything about that? That's what Nathaniel's doing. He's saying, can anything good come from Portland? I mean, sorry, uh, uh, Nazareth, so he said. Right? But what is it that Philip has actually said? What is it that these guys have going for them that we've got going for us if, we've, if we're doing this? 
They know their Bible. Probably not as good as we know, because you know why? They don't have scrolls sitting on the shelves of their houses. The only way they know the Bible is through memorization, through people telling them, through going to synagogue on the Sabbath. That's all they know. They got the Old Testament. But they know there's this Messiah because Philip comes up and he says, hey, look, I'm, it's not, I'm not just saying this is another Messiah. This is the one Moses talked about, like in Deuteronomy 18 and Genesis 28 and so forth and so on. This is the one. What are they doing? He's referring to the Bible. Still, Nathaniel says, nah, Nazareth and the Bible don't go together. I right? can't, can't do it. So what does is, what is, uh, Philip do? He says, just, just come and see. I, that's what I think he's saying. That's kind of how he's saying. Can anything good? We don't know what else he said. Come on, you cynic. Let's just go check, okay? Just see for yourself. I'll, I'll change my mind if you don't think. You know. I think that's kind of the attitude with which he says. But it's the same thing Jesus said. Come and you'll see. And then Philip says, come and see. Isn't that interesting? That's an important phrase. We'll, we'll pick that up at the end, but don't forget that one again, like I said last time. But here, here's the thing. On any given day, you could be God's answer to somebody. On any given day, you could be God's answer to somebody. You see, do you believe in divine appointments? Those of you who have a little bit of an evangelism bent to you, a little, little Jones that you just can't help but tell people that you're a Christian and stuff, way to go. We need more people like us that way. But that's not the only gift out there. But you, you, you maybe uh, uh, believe in divine appointments because you've had somebody come up to you and, and, and God just says, pray for this person or share something of encouragement to them or so forth and so on. I mean, you know, most of us have had those kinds of experiences, really evangelism bent or not. But I'm not even t thinking that that's what this is fundamentally about. I'm thinking that what this is fundamentally about is on any given day when you need that person, when you need to see that believer like you that is that friend, is that person that's like, you, you're, we're the same, we're like me, we're on the same road together. Man, do I need to talk to you after this day. I think we found, I found something from, about Jesus. I think God did something in my life today. That kind of person. Invariably, they just show up. Have you noticed that? They just show up. I, 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 we know as Christians that they don't just show up. There's this, um, there's this uh, uh, story in a couple decades later in the New Testament. It's, it's in the book of Acts. It's Paul. Paul in, in Acts chapter 17 is wandering around Athens. And he's left his friends behind, and, and he's there alone in Athens and, and seeing all these idols and statues, and you know, the whole Greek pantheon is on display, and there's temples, and you can see, still see a bunch of that stuff today. These day, uh, today. It's kind of crazy. You get up in the Parthenon, you look back, you see this road that's got temple, 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 and he's apparently wandering through all that stuff. And, and so he, he just has this burden to go talk to people in the, that are God believers, at least, it's just that they're, they're not Christians because they don't believe anything about Jesus. In fact, he's not sure they've even heard about Jesus. So he goes and he teaches uh, God-fearing, as it says, uh, people. Look, look, at the, look at this. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, 
he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. (laughs) Here's the thing. Luke, when he wrote Acts, he spent a number of years with Paul. Paul was one of his uh, main sources for the book of Acts. Not the only source, but one of his main sources, because he traveled with Paul. The only person that could tell Luke that this happened was was Paul, because he was the only one there that was a Christian at the time, right? And so I imagine, here's how I imagine it. I don't have biblical reference for this, but I imagine Luke and and Paul kind of downloading this story to, uh, to Luke and saying to him, yeah, you know, I went in and I spoke in the synagogue to the God-fearing uh, Greeks and Gentiles and so forth, and, but here, here, here's the uh, Jews and, and, and Greeks. But here, here's the thing. He says, I, I just had to deal with whoever happened to be there, wink, wink, nod, nod. Because, I mean, Paul is clear that there are no just happened to be theirs. There are no oops, you know, maybe, maybe they're there, maybe they're not. See, here's the thing. I'm... I'm, I'm I have had so many times in the ministry of this church even where I've gone, you know, God, what do you, how are we going to do that ministry? How are we going to reach those people? How can we care for so-and-so? And invariably, either somebody will walk through the doors of a Sunday morning or they'll walk into a small group or a name will come to my head or the face will come to my head. That's how this church started. I've got about 10 names in my head. And invariably, God will say, I'm going to bring this one, this one, this one. I already brought you that one. Open your eyes. That kind of thing. You know, I, I, I'm, that's, the, that's the reality. That's, that's what I think is happening here. Divine appointments for Christians, between Christians. Christian friends who will help take it there and take it next and take it next and help us grow. I mean, how else? Think about how the church made it out of the first century. Think how nutty that thing was, that the world was. Have you ever wondered why God put the Messiah into that world? I mean, other than our time today, I'm not sure there was a crazier time to put him in, in the world. It shouldn't have made it out of the first century, this gospel thing. It should have died with Jesus on the cross, right? Of course, there was the resurrection, but I mean, still, I mean, the, the story getting out and, the, and the, the changed lives and the people believing it, I mean, it's a pretty fantastical story left to itself unless, unless you've had your heart opened by the Spirit and you've, you've sort of given yourself the ability to kind of check it out. I mean, the, the reality is, is that in that world, there was chaos, there was religious chaos. You were a heretic for being a Christian. You, that was not a good place to be. Just look at Paul's early life. Uh, 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 racially, it was a problem. No, God-fearers, the God of the Bible, the God of the Old Testament, those are Jewish people. You can't bring that to Gentiles. Don't, don't take it out of here. Then Peter does it, and John, or Paul does it. John does it eventually. Uh, so religiously, racially, Politically, Rome was going to bring things down, bring the hammer down on anybody that just mildly caused a disturbance, especially out there in that dusty old place called Palestine. That's what the Caesar was the first one to call it Palestine out there. Especially him, that place. You know, because those people are rebels from the get-go. They shouldn't be trusted for anything. So politically, it was a mess. And finally, socially, it was just chaos. 
people turning each other in and all kinds of crazy, crazy stuff. Shouldn't have made it out of the first century. But let's fast forward to our time. How are we going to live in the midst of the chaos we're in? How are we going to live going out from here into this newish world? This, this, this world now coming out of this pandemic and all the other crazy things that have been happening in the last few years. How are we going to? Don't you think we need some place to grow and to pause for a minute and lift each other up and some place to go and say, hey, 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 guess what I saw? Hey, guess what I think God did? Hey, guess the scripture that I found? Isn't it here? I mean, isn't that how Jesus did it? You know, he had this relationship and he walked with people and he walked along with them and he spent time with them and he, 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 he asked them questions and then sometimes he gave them answers and so forth. What was he doing? He didn't need to ask questions. He didn't need to do any of that. He didn't need to walk with them other than to say, I'm teaching you how to do Christian friendship. I'm teaching you how to be there for each other. That's what he was doing. If we just focused on that one thing, do you think it would change everything? Would you think it would make... Family, you know, don't, don't we need this? Family, friends, that kind of environment and crucible to make it possible for us to see that, you know what, we really can have a wishbone. We really can see that on the horizon. There's some really great things God's going to do tomorrow and the next day and the next day. There's some really awesome things, but also we're going to have to have some backbone not to listen to all those other voices in our head, not to hold back, pull back, but to be there for one another. That's, I think, what we're supposed to understand from this text. But Jesus doesn't just leave, and neither does Philip, his uh, friend Nathaniel, just sitting there in this, can anything good come from there kind of puddle. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, and you are the King of Israel. And I imagine Jesus said this next part with a bit of a smile. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said you were, uh, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Isn't that kind of a beautiful picture of how God just sort of transforms, Jesus just transforms Nathaniel's life with some very simple things. And Jesus says, hey, you ain't seen nothing yet. Stick with me and you're going to see the really cool stuff. The really amazing stuff. You see, here's, here's the reality, I think, that we need to understand about Christian friendship. When Jesus answers a big need... His response is almost always a person. Whether that be a need of someone out there that prays, that don't, doesn't know him and just says, God, I need your help. If you're real, show me. That's true too. But on a much more everyday basis, I think he does the exact same thing for us, for each other. He answers with a person. He answers with 
someone with skin on, if you will. That's, that's how, how, how Jesus answers those needs that we have as Christian friends. And, and that's why I think it's appropriate if you don't have any Christian friends that you can go to and say, hey, I guess got to tell you what God did for me. I guess got to tell you this Bible verse I found. You know, and, and it, where you can be completely comfortable because it's not a miracle miracle, except if you find the Bible verse exactly when you need it and it's exactly what you needed that day because you got bad news from the doctor or whatever else, blah, 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 blah. Isn't that a miracle? I think it is a miracle. I finally come to the degree, decision that it is. You can take it or leave it, but I think it is. But that kind of person, if you're not sure you have that kind of person, oh, what, what this means is I think it's okay to pray about it and ask him for it. And one of two things will happen. Either he'll bring somebody in your life as you pray about it, or he'll wake, open up your eyes to say, yeah, I already gave you a dun, 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 dun. You know, I'm, you already know I'm weird, but sometimes I, I do this when no one else is around. When, on Fridays when there's nobody else in here except me, that I come in for just a couple of minutes to print off my message, or the notes for the message, so I can try to get it up here. Um, I, I, sometimes I'll print it off, and then I'll go out to the lobby just to check, make sure nobody's down the hall, and I'm not like locking them in the bathroom with the alarm and stuff like that. But then sometimes I'll pause and I'll just look out at the street, look at the cars going by, and just pause for a second and just wonder, Lord, is there somebody there that, that needs you? Is there somebody there that we're supposed to serve and minister to? Or is there somebody out there that is uh, uh, from our fellowship or a Christian friend or a potential person or so forth? What am I just supposed to be thinking about the people going by? And I want to have my eyes open. I want to have my eyes, not just pass them by all the time during the day. Why? Because when Jesus is going to answer a need, he always sends a person. He sent the Son of God first, but he's still in the business of sending a person. And that's why I think when Jesus pulls the trigger and does uh, a, a renewal or changes a society or changes people, he does it through sending a person. And again, let's land this thing on, on this fact the beautiful thing about that is it's not up to us. It's not about us. It's about him. We need to be on that, you know, we need, we need to have clarity about what we're doing, why we're following Jesus, and we need to take some activity in terms of taking a step toward him and when he tells us, take a step toward that friend that he's bringing into our life. Yeah, we need to do that, but the rest is all up to him. He's the one that puts the pieces Together, I, I was just struck by this when I read um, in the preparation for this message uh, an old, old book uh, by William Temple. William Temple uh, was Archbishop of Canterbury until 1944, so you can tell how old it is. Uh, but he wrote a book called The Readings in, in St. John's Gospel. What's interesting about this, if you like Dorothy Sayers' uh, radio play that she did called The Man Born to Be King, uh, I try to read it every Christmas and or Easter. Uh, last few years have not been successful at getting all the way through it, but I always start at the beginning because it's so great. But here, here's the, the thing. She used this, this book as her sort of background resource material, and it's, it's pretty interesting. But here, here's what Temple says about this whole business of one person connecting with another person. And the whole, I, I, he doesn't call it this, but I, what I'm talking about in terms of Christian friendship, he describes it well. He says, they followed Jesus, the first in a long roll of followers, and they follow, as do most of us, because of what they had heard another say. 
And we Christians, because we have been taught, and those who taught us were taught themselves, so the line runs back to Christ and those about him. Now we follow because of what is said by one whom they already trust. And he welcomes them and gives them opportunity to come and to know him in the form and form their own impressions. We've all got our own eyes. We need each other's eyes. We can't do this alone. We can't do this, you know, in a quarantine. But did you see that succession he talks about? Somebody told you, but somebody told them, somebody told them. That goes all the way back to Jesus and Andrew and Peter and Nathaniel. Isn't that something? For God, that's nothing. For us, it's 2,000 years. But there's something alive about that. There's something wondrous about that. And you begin to realize what Christian friendship really can potentially be. And so because of all that, just consider these final thoughts. And if you need to take a picture, take a picture. They're pretty self-explanatory, but um, they won't be up there that long. Ask Jesus to help you have the backbone and the wishbone enough to do these things. To want to be a Christian friend. Have you ever thought about even wanting to Christian friendship? To want Christian friends. To have the courage to be a Christian friend. That's where you need the backbone. So, uh, want to go to coffee? Hey, you know what I learned in the Bible this week? And to lead you today to see who yours are, maybe that he's already brought in your life, or to find new Christian friends. You see, you and I together have this incredible, tremendous potential. But we are living in a newish world, in a new world after this chaotic, crazy, in some ways, wondrous and beautiful year. But we're getting, we, we ought not let ourselves get into the idea or the habit that somehow we can just do this in quarantine. And I don't mean, you know, break rules. I'm saying we can't do this by quarantining ourselves off or being alone. It's not possible. Tech or no tech. Just not possible. We need Christian friends to that, that can help us along the way. Social distance, absolutely. But to those Christian friends that can reach out and touch one another, even via the phone or whatever else, that's how God's going to do this. And here's the thing. We're not pushing an agenda. Did you know that as Christians? We're not pushing an agenda on the world. Nope. Mm-mm. We're trying to live into a higher purpose or a calling or his agenda, if you will, in a way that becomes so attractive, just like Jesus made goodness so attractive that people could not stay away. And it's not us, it's Jesus. So have the courage, have the backbone to consider that and ask Jesus for those kinds of friends and say, say to him ahead of time, I will take the steps toward the people that you want me to be Christian friends with if you, know, you show them to me in clarity, cl- clarify them and so forth. That's sort of Jesus' question. What are you seeking? Are you really wanting this? And, and I will take the action. I will do it. And just see what he does. And if you don't see in your life that you have Christian friends, well, I would just say to you this one simple phrase. Come and see. Just come and see. Either here or your group or just come and see. Let's pray together. 
Our loving Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for coming in the way that you did and how enlightening it really is and how a light bulb has just gone off, for me anyway, about how you want us as your people to go forward to wondrous things, not always easy things, but wondrous and beautiful and amazing things as you renew our lives and renew people's lives and renew even a culture and a world in which we live. Your timing's perfect, just like it was perfect when you came the first time. But we trust you with that because we've learned over the years that you really are closer than family to us. So Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for making us into the people that you have. Thank you for making this church your family. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.